problem. Thanks, Joe. What a great baptism, eh? What a great baptism. Well, good morning. Um, my, my name's Rob. I'm associate pastor here at TWCF, and uh, it's good to see you. So if it's your first time here, then, then welcome. Uh, we look forward to getting to know you more over the coming weeks and months. Um, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in circumstances that weren't of your making or, uh, or in a situation where you get surprised at um, how things come together and circumstances line up. Um, but in 2015, I was traveling to uh, London on a train uh, to work fairly early in the morning and uh, reading my Bible on my phone. And uh, I got to a section that was basically talking about the people of Israel uh, going from Jordan to Israel. And uh, as I read it, something struck me deep inside, uh, a real sense that there was something God wanted to, to highlight. And um, that there was something significant about this journey that they made from, from Jordan to Israel. And it was such a compulsion inside that I highlighted the text on my phone and, uh, and, and uh, sent it, uh, WhatsApp messaged it to my wife, Jo, uh, at home, telling her what was going on and what I felt God was saying at the time. And, um, well, Joe's used to me sending her crazy stuff about Israel all the time. Um, Joe jo and the kids are Israeli citizens. They're Messianic Jews, which are Jews who believe uh, uh, that Jesus is their Messiah. So it's fairly normal to be talking about Israel uh, in our house. But there was something different about this, and we, we resolved to pray about it. And um, within 24 hours of me sharing the text... Um, I was sitting across a table with a friend who had come around for a chat and, uh, unbeknown to me, um, were, were co come around to invite me to Jordan uh, in a couple of months. And I was pretty blown away, to be honest, that the verse had come up in such a significant way the day before. And, um, and then 24 hours after this, another friend invited us to Israel after going to Jordan. And I was floored. Um, it seemed like God was speaking and guiding in a really real way. Um, one mildly amusing fact that cropped up uh, afterwards, that the friend coming round had actually misheard my name and uh, thought he was meant to be inviting me when he was meant to be inviting someone else uh, <laughs> instead. Quite amusing, but, but God knew what he was doing and, and, and using us, even in the mistakes, to fulfill a, uh, a plan he had for, for this mission in the Middle East. And uh, so that was 2015, and despite being a mistake going, um, in, in human eyes at least, I joined the team that went out to um, the Middle East with a local charity. And our brief was to take food to refugees, and, and then while we were there, to just share some of God's love with them, and uh, by listening to their stories and praying for them if there was an opportunity. And uh, we went out, a team, I think there was eight of us, um, and we'd raised enough funds to feed around 60 families for a month, uh, refugee families. Um, and it was exciting. Uh, after we landed at the airport, we were ushered through customs, and it was a nervous time. Uh, evangelism was uh, forbidden, and we were in a strict Muslim culture. And uh, we'd been briefed on what to say if we were stopped by customs officers, but um, we were a little on edge as we, as we went through uh, customs. And something aroused the customs officers' suspicions. And I remember standing waiting for our baggage and uh, to, to come off the sort of the conveyor belt and, uh, and glancing behind to see a, uh, a bunch of customs officers on a balcony sort of looking forward and over and down at our group. And uh, thankfully our baggage came off and we quickly dispersed a little and made our way out of the airside part of the airport and through the doors leading to the arrivals lounge. Um, 
And as we walked into the arrivals hall to face a, a sort of a crowd of people, um, I, I didn't really know um, where to look or what, or what to expect or you know, how we were going to be greeted. And um, whether we'd have banners saying, welcome Christians on mission to the Muslims or something like that. Um, but it was actually something a little more discreet. And actually what we got was rather more exciting. Um, glancing around the crowd in front of me, um, one guy locked eyes with me and, and, and just sort of nodded as I, as I looked at him. And, uh, and then he just turned around without saying anything and walked off. And um, the same happened to, to, to the rest of the group. And we found ourselves um, in the airport car park with our hosts. And uh, it all felt quite surreal and exciting. Um, and these guys turned out to be our drivers for the week. And uh, part of their role was to take us from one refugee family uh, to, the to another and to coordinate food parcels and interpret for us. Um, and it was while meeting with, with some of the refugees where God did some amazing miracles and, and equipped us in so many different ways as we went. Um, uh, the main way we found ourselves equipped was as we prayed with each other, for each other, and for those we were meeting with. Um, and God was speaking into our hearts in a really clear way. Um, as an example of this, one person had a picture while they were praying of, of a list sort of being rearranged and uh, shared that they believed God was saying to be prepared as there was going to be some changes today. Um, some of the guys laughed because our, our driver had got a military background and everything was planned with military precision and mainly for our safety as we travelled around and um, I, I think they were thinking it really would take a miracle for this guy to change his mind on anything and, um, but sure enough halfway through the day we got a call to meet an unknown person at their house and take them some supplies so God was equipping us and just preparing us uh, to, to make changes as we were on our journey and um, th then a few remarkable things happened. While we were driving along to see this person, we stopped to ask someone in the street some way away from where we were heading, and it turned out to be the person we were driving to see. Um, and then when we got to the house, two of us were praying, and another two chatting through the translator, and a more prophetic words started coming. And, uh, and God was telling us things that this lady had prayed privately and silently to God just the day before. And uh, we knew God was equipping us on the spot to handle whatever his purposes were for that person. And uh, it was exhilarating and humbling to be part of. And another home we visited was, was one of a Syrian family um, who um, had a two-year-old child. And the, the child had never played or laughed due to the trauma they'd experienced from being thrown by their home in Syria by ISIS. And they were made to walk six weeks to the border uh, uh, and the mother was pregnant with their, with their second child and they'd seen death and been terrorized and here we were sitting with them in, in a dusty basement of a run-down back street in, in the Middle East praying and telling them about Jesus. And uh, what, what one of the team members had a real gifting for kids and I mean real, there was something profoundly supernatural uh, about her gifting and as we prayed and ministered to this uh, Muslim family, God equipped them to just minister to this lovely little child that was so traumatized by the ravages of war. Within minutes, for the first time ever, the child was running and playing and laughing with everyone as, uh, as if nothing had ever happened. And uh, they were running around the room and uh, diving on piles of cushions uh, and on the mattresses uh, that they were sitting on. Don't worry about Claire, by the way. She's just having a look around. Um, so, um, yeah, so, uh, the, and the parents were shocked, um, absolutely astounded at uh, how God had healed 
their child from this sort of deep trauma. So it's it's this setting people free in their gifting and and free from things that hold them back that that makes me really passionate that we get our heads around the Bible verses we're going to look at today. Uh, Because if we do, then I believe we'll see people being used by God. Uh, and seeing people's lives um, have true significance and meaning. And uh, we'll see people take bold steps uh, and shape cultures and communities in a really powerful way. So I'm passionate about them because I want my life, all of our lives, um, to make a meaningful difference to, and to make the world a, a better place in Jesus' name. Um, I, 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 know, I want us to know that we're, we're being used by God and to be frequently surprised at how often he uses us. And I'm passionate about seeing people on an adventure with God. And I believe a lot of the time we're put in places to make a difference, to impact others' lives in an amazingly positive way. And finally, I'm passionate because I love seeing people live and operate in the giftings that God has given them uh, as individuals and how through past good times, hard times in our lives, God has taught us to trust him and rely on him. And I love to see the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives, transforming them and, uh, and whatever they get involved with because we serve an amazing God. So let's look at some, some, some verses. Turn if you're, in, in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel 17. Um, I'll put the words on the screen uh, to help as well. We're in, um, we're in the series entitled David, and uh, we're going to take a look at one of the most famous stories in the Bible uh, and see how David addresses the theme that we're, we're, we're looking at and talking about today. Uh, it's worth saying that last week Stuart come and say, covered some of the same verses. Uh, I'm focusing in on different aspects of the story, which I, I hope will dovetail nicely into Stuart's message. Um, so there, there's quite a lot of scripture which, I, which I've put on screen. Um, so first we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 17, 20 to 26, and then uh, a little later on, verses 38 to 47. But I'll, I'll put it on the screen and I'll read it for you as well. So, um, early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, uh, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army were going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines um, were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? And um, uh, uh, he comes out to, to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Uh, He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then we're going to skip a few verses now um, where David is called to Saul and um, we pick up the story again just after Saul has uh, decided that, that David's explained his skills well enough and uh, it's okay for David to go uh, into battle uh, and take on Goliath. So we're reading from verse 38 now. Um, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put, on a coat, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. 
David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he, he was not used to them. I can't, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And, and then he took his staff, um, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. So, I'd like to cover just three observations from, the, from these verses to, to see a little more of the background and what was going on and, how, and, the, and then we'll, we can go on to how uh, these might apply to us today. And uh, the first observation is this. David saw the armies of God not operating in the power of God. David was there, and from the scene in front of him and what he heard, he had a sense that something wasn't right, um, to the point where he asked, who is this man that he should dishonor the armies of the living God? He asked a question to the people around him, part of the armies of, of God. So this is an army who's been ordained to battle on behalf of God. And the problem is that they're scared. Um, they're looking at what's in front of them in the physical sense, rather than through the lens of who they are in God. Uh, and, and don't forget, David's already seen and heard Goliath. Um, at this point, David isn't with blind faith just declaring Goliath will fall. He's seen and heard him. And just to add some proportions to the story, David was around 16 at the time he fought Goliath. Um, and, and shorter than Saul, who, who the Bible says, around the six foot mark. And the Bible says, a, a, a head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. So David was, say, around five foot. Goliath was estimated at about nine foot, um, which is another three foot above me just to help you picture it. So it's, it's scary stuff. And so David had seen Goliath, but still remained unperturbed. Why? Because he doesn't put the physical challenges first. He puts what God has ordained first. Uh, and he takes what God has said first and uses that to define his outlook. The army had forgotten they were the armies of God and were running scared every time the challenge from Goliath was heard. And it's then that David turns to the men around him and asks them, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And in a way, he's reminding them of their identity. He's reminding them that God has appointed them and he's ignoring the fact that Goliath is a physical giant uh, and highlighting that he's defying, some, he's defying something that God has put in place. David sees the army not fighting because they're scared of their own lack of strength and raises their eyes to the, to, to the real issue. Um, those who are chosen by God for battle are being dishonored. Their, weaknesses was, well, their weakness was focusing on their own weakness rather than the strength of God. And that distracted them to sit from seeing who they were in God. And the army's distracted in another way. They're, they're focusing on fighting someone bigger than them. And what that person gets from the king by killing Goliath. So his promises of worldly prosperity and uh, success in the form of great wealth um, the king's daughter, a real princess to marry, and no more taxes ever. 
they're huge incentives for men of, uh, of army age and um, incentives of status and wealth and a beautiful wife. But I fear these were, were helping them take their eyes off the ball that they were in fact God's army appointed by God for the restoration of Israel. David was seeing the armies of God not operating in the power of God. So let's move on through the story. And we, we skipped a few verses and, and dived back in to where David had uh, given Saul his reasons to fight because he was under the fighting age of, of 20. And Saul had decided that he would give David permission to go and fight uh, Goliath. But there's a problem that crops up for David. Have a look at verse 38. Um, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his, on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Um, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. So David is given Saul's tunic. And remember, Saul, we said, was a head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, uh, and, and then his armor. And for such a serious situa- situation, it must have looked hilarious. A bit like a kid dressing up in his dad's suit and all the sort of sleeves flopping everywhere. So here's the next point. You see, Saul gave David Saul's solution to the problem that didn't allow, uh, or didn't allow room for how God had equipped David. So Saul, leader of the army, was looking at the physical too uh, and giving a physical t- solution to what he saw as a physical problem. And in fact, it's no wonder the army had the wrong vision because it probably filtered down from the top. When a leader has the wrong vision, then anyone being led for them will adopt the same wrong vision. And I'm just wondering if Saul hadn't heard from God because he was looking to the physical and not seeking God's heart uh, on, on things. And the Bible doesn't explicitly say that, but I, but I know from myself that, that sometimes um, I, I need to stop and recalibrate and focus on God again. Thankfully, with God as David's leader, David rejected Saul's armor. Saul was responding to what he saw. David was responding to the character and person of God whom he knew. Saul's solution was worldly. David's solution was the empowering presence of God himself, rescuing when David stepped out in faith. And David's response was key. See, the Bible says he took off Saul's armor, picked up his staff and selected five rounded stones from the riverbed and walked towards Goliath. David went back to basics. He refused to take on someone else's solution that was so obviously wrong for him and went back to who God made him to be, a shepherd protecting his flock. The Bible says he put the stones in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and uh, approached Goliath. David was a young man and he was secure in who God had made him to be. And he was secure knowing that whilst he'd never been trained as a specialist Goliath giant killer, um, he had in fact been trained to trust God in all circumstances and in all things to be after God's heart and not listening to the worldliness of those around him. And as David walked closer to Goliath, the story tells that Goliath starts to walk closer to, towards David. And the, the tension must have been rife, just, just waiting for David to get torn limb from limb by this huge warrior. And as they got closer, Goliath got even more threatening. First it says that Goliath looked, looked him over and despised him, seeing that he was little more than a boy, glowing and handsome. Which probably means Goliath was well ugly and knew it. Um, <laughs> You know, Goliath was mocking David um, uh, uh, as if he thought Goliath was a dog because David was coming to him with a stick, which I guess he's referring to his staff. Um, But then Goliath beckons David forward and says, come here and I'll feed you to the birds and the wild animals. Maybe in a bit more scary way than I said it. 
It's a scary, intense moment for, for everyone waiting with bated breath for this fight to commence. And I, I wonder what they're all thinking. We've got the, the Philistine army, um, uh, Saul, the army of Israel, all focusing in on this fight that was uh, about to happen. And yet David doesn't lose focus. In, in the heat of the fight, him running towards Goliath, Go, Goliath going towards David, and they're within hearing distance of each other's voices. Uh, and Goliath shouting all his insults at David, and David keeps bang on the point. He doesn't lose the point, no matter what's going on. And the point is this. David reminds everyone that victory is given by God and it's nothing to do with physical strength. Listen again to what David says to Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. David highlights Goliath's material approach to the battle against David's own approach Goliath's sword and spear and javelin, uh, but David came against him um, in the name of the Lord God Almighty. He was only around 16. It was little David. He's a shepherd boy, but with God on his side, telling this giant, whoever you feared, that, that God would deliver him into his hands. And I, and I wonder at what point people started to think this was serious. Um, it, but David turns this into God's fight. David puts his faith in God in action declaring that God would deliver Goliath into his hands. And then David threw something in for the whole Philistine army. He must have been very brave. He, he, he turned the threat Goliath, Goliath said to David and offered it all the way back to the whole army um, by saying, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And then the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. Again and again, David is declaring to all that the victory is given by God. Declaration after declaration of the power and authority of God over and above what any of them were seeing or expecting. So I'd like to spend a few minutes trying to, trying to uh, unpack a few thoughts on, on how we can use David's example and relate this to our own lives uh, and a little on how God equips us. Um, but before I do, d d there's one um, real point that I want you to leave with today. So if you forget everything before now, everything after now, um, th th this is the point. I want you to realize that God has chosen you and equipped you to take on some giants in life and ordained you to win in order to change people's destiny. Just like David, God has chosen you and equipped you to take on some giants in life and ordained you to win in order to change people's destiny. So I'd like to look first at David's uh, response to Saul, uh, trying to get him to wear the armour uh, to fix the problem his way rather than let him do it David's way. Um, because David was at first made to wear someone else's armour and he very quickly realised it wouldn't work. Um, and this is key to David's success as he goes into battle with Goliath because um, David needed to be the person God made him to be and to live that out rather than fitting any stereotypical view of how a warrior should be in battle. Um, so, first point, David was operating with the gifting God had given him, are you? Everyone is different. You're unique. And your past experiences, your relationship with God, how you walk with God is, is, is unique to you and personal to you. How he's wired you up, 
how he's healed you, how he's led you so far in your life and taught you. It's all personal and unique to you. And the flip side of that is that we all carry our own self-made armor, armor that's homegrown from being hurt and through sustaining emotional injuries in life. And and these can cause us um, to, to put on our own armor rather than godly armor. And sadly, like Saul's armor, it can hold us back and stop us being vulnerable and stepping out like David and trusting God. Stop us living life to the full. It says our armor and God's armor. And the book of Ephesians in the Bible, chapter 6, explains to us a little bit about spiritual armor we, and that we can put on um, to walk through life. And I haven't got time to go into it all today, but it's worth reading. And if you haven't got a Bible, tell us and we'll, we'll get you one. Um, but, but that was v- just very briefly touching on armor. But uh, let's talk a little about gifts. And um, b- because since the time of David, which was around 1000 BC, Jesus came and, and gifts moved from being just skills to spiritual gifts as well. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have spiritual gifts that have been given to us as part of the church. And they're gifts that equip us for ministry over and above our own strength. And, uh, and, and equip us to partner with God in building his church. And ju- ju- just to name a few, um, uh, gifts of, we heard about gifts of prophecy earlier. Gifts of service, of teaching, encouragement, of giving, wisdom. Gifts of words of knowledge, healing, speaking in tongues. There's, there's way too many to, to go into in one sermon. But the Bible gives examples in, in many places of, of the different ways God um, wants to equip us for service. And how he equips each one of us uniquely and and differently. And we're called not to be fearful about spiritual gifts. Paul in the book of Timothy urges us not to be fearful, but in fact encourage one another uh, to start operating in your gifting, which is a hope what I'm doing now, um, until it becomes normal. In 2 Timothy 1, um, New King James Version, it says, it says, stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Stir it up, it says. Stir up your gifts. And, uh, because it's not a spirit of fear, but of power, sound mind. So do you know and are you operating in the armor and gifting God has given you? If not, it's time. Next. David was willing to die for God. Are you? David's real battle was a battle of the heart. And I can think of a few instances in David's life where the battle was won or lost way before the action started. Um, David was in a process of learning this, but still later on in life didn't get this right. But here in the valley, uh, armies to his front and back, David was willing to die die for his God. And yet he trusted that this wouldn't be the case. He trusted that he may be stepping into a big fight, but he trusted his bigger God. Do we? Are we willing to die for him? In the UK, we currently have a a safe church in general, but there are places in the world where you'd have to be willing to die to go to church. If you live there, would you go? Would it be too hard? There are places in the world that offering to, to pray for someone would get you and your family killed. Would you tell them about Jesus? There are places in the world where standing up for God's heart on a matter would get you mocked and thrown out of work. Would you stand up for him? When I gave my life to Christ, I I lost just about all my friends. And strangely, they were busy when I called up to meet 
I, I found them out together as a group, but I wasn't invited anymore. And uh, the invites to go round stopped coming, and my invites to meet up were declined. It's all for Jesus. Is he worth it to you? Are you willing to die for him? When Joe, my wife, came to Christ, she experienced a huge rejection from one part of the family. Uh, all through growing up, she'd had it drilled into her that, that Jews didn't even say the name of Jesus. And there was a culture of complete rejection. And as she gave her life to him and news got round, relationships broke and she was rejected, cast out because of Jesus. Are you willing to die for him? And yet, he's worth every bit of all of our lives and more. Jesus, who died for us, calls us to be willing to lay down our life for him. And Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't done himself first. He died for us. And in a sense, the, the call to die for him is hard. It's everything. To be willing to, to die, no more life as it was before. The old person gone, dead. And yet, he's so worth it. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, can I, can I take a couple of minutes to share one thing and speak to you directly uh, for a moment? Can I plead with you with all my heart to realize this? Um, that whatever you think your life is worth, and it may be worth a lot, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. It's nothing compared to his presence and, uh, uh, and nothing compared to having a relationship with the living God. And if I haven't explained the value of Christ in anyone's life well enough to make you want to drop everything and turn to him, can I just say he's worth it? Whatever riches or finance or lifestyle you have, um, they're nothing compared to the incomparable riches of God, the paying for our sins, the offering of forgiveness. So if you don't know him today, if you haven't given your life to him, can I plead with you to do so? Don't hold on to the great life you have and lose out on a better life with Christ as Lord. Thankfully, uh, at this moment in this country, um, Christianity can ruin a worldly life, but it won't normally get you killed in the UK. Are you willing for a worldly life to die, to receive a life with far more meaning, that's, whose value stretches into eternity? Um, it's worth pondering in your heart over the next few days if you'd be willing to die for him or not, with a gun to your kneecaps or, or pointing towards someone in your family. You deny Jesus and they live. If you declare him as Lord and Savior of your life, they die. What would you do? How much is he worth to you? How much is he worth to me? My prayer is that we realize that he's worth infinitely more than anything this world could ever offer. And then we live like it. And yet, in the West, it's not so easy to declare Christ and die physically. We don't get off that lightly. You see... After we're called to die for him, then he calls us to live for him. And David was willing to live for God. Are you? David saw beyond the threat that was, that was, um, and, and was willing to fight for the sake of the kingdom of God. And David realized the value of God over and above death. And he chose God. And David was willing to step out after hearing about the injustice and the lies that Goliath was taunting the armies of God with. And the threat looked real and the threat looked big, but they were masking a larger threat. And the bigger threat was that the man of God would be distracted from the truth that God was the most important and everything else flowed from this. David knew what he had to do without hearing the audible voice of God. 
what was happening was unscriptural and against the authority of God. And David um, found a passion and an enthusiasm rising up um, uh, to do something about it. And he saw a cause uh, to fight for with passion. What do you see as a godly cause? How do we know what's a godly battle and an ungodly battle? Well, I believe the more we know God personally and know the scriptures, the, the easier we'll be able to discern this. And David seemed passionate that people would realize that the whole world would know that there's a God in Israel and he brings victory. And that they would know that God reigns. It's not a bad litmus test for our own motivations and to help us as individuals set a a direction. And I I wonder if we were to ask ourselves, what are you enthusiastic about that would lead people to knowing God more and lead them in victory over life's battles? What would your answer be? See, like like David, who was uh, just sent to deliver some food and heard what was happening. Like the the example I, uh, as, as I started, when I was mistakenly invited somewhere and just presented with an opportunity to minister. I think sometimes we hear about things, uh, and it's enough to spur us into action. As a personal example, um, uh, I've been doing some research about Tunbridge Wells and, and looking at some of the borough council reports for, for different areas of town. And one of the reports I read just fired up my heart. I was reading about Tunbridge Wells and how particular areas have high levels of unemployment and high levels of single-parent families and high levels of theft and vandalism compared to others. But for me, the the real kicker was this. At at the time of the report, um, which was a couple of years ago, there were 2,295 kids recorded as below the poverty line in Tunbridge Wells. This is Tunbridge Wells, folks, right on our doorstep. Actually, on our watch. Um, And I'm compelled to not just stand by and let that continue. Now, that's that's a personal example. Um, uh, But it gives you some idea on how to spot something that that God might be steering you towards. And I can't stand by and watch that happen. I can feel a passion and enthusiasm for making a difference in our community in one way or another. Even if it's just a small one. And I'm saying God is the answer in our community but he uses people as his hands and feet in places to lead people to him, to change their destiny. Our time's up just about. Here's a quick and final thought. Why not substitute David's name for yours and Goliath's name for something you believe is on God's heart for you to battle? Your name and poverty or injustice or abortion or hunger or homelessness or loneliness you get the, the concept? I'll say it again. I believe God has chosen you and equipped you to take on some giants in life and ordained you to win in order to change people's destiny. We need to pray and listen and know our scriptures, know God, know his heart, and be filled with the Spirit, not afraid to use our gifts. Be willing to live for him and die for him. And then maybe, just maybe, we can take on some of life's giants.